Most of us in healthcare are warm, caring people who are committed to keeping our patients safe and doing no harm. But there are some among us who do the unthinkable and betray our noble profession. On this podcast, we like to shine a light on the good and the bad. Each week, I'll be joined by another healthcare professional, and together we'll dive into these stories while chatting about nursing and healthcare along the way. I'm Tina, a registered nurse, and this is Good Nurse, Bad Nurse. everybody. This is Tina again with Good Nurse, Bad Nurse. Welcome back to another episode. This week, I'm joined by a fellow nurse podcaster and a seasoned forensic nurse death investigator. Wow, I can't imagine a more qualified guest host for Good Nurse, Bad Nurse. I'm so excited to get to do this episode. Julie, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Oh, yeah. I'm excited to have you. Julie's show is called Pushing Up Lilies. And we're going to tell you all about her podcast in the Good Nurse segment. This is probably a good time to go ahead and do a trigger warning because in this episode, we are going to be discussing, I don't ever know a better way of saying it, but it, it, there will be discussion of sexual assault. So I, I never know a, a good way of saying that. You just have to come out and say it. Unfortunately, these things happen. And on this podcast, we don't pretend like bad things don't happen because they do. And we like to talk about it, get it out there in the open, shine a light on it, and hopefully prevent it from happening in the future if we can. Exactly. Prevention is a big part of it, for sure. Absolutely. And education is, and talking about it, communication is so important and, you know, preventing things like this from happening. And man, it is a absolutely horrible, horrible story. I can just tell you that. Did you know that you don't have to go all across the country to be a travel nurse? You certainly can, but you don't have to. I literally took an assignment that's an hour and a half away from my house, and I love it. I can stay in a hotel room if I want, or I can drive back home. So it's the best of both worlds for me. For my next assignment, we're going to get a cabin in the mountains that's about two hours from our house, so it'll really be like a little getaway. Also, one of my really good friends is going with me so we can share expenses. You guys, even if you're just a little curious about travel nursing, go to trustedhealth.com forward slash good nurse and fill out a profile so you can see what kind of jobs are out there and what they pay. Go to trustedhealth.com forward slash good nurse and fill out a profile. We're going to delve into this just absolutely disgusting case of Tony Klein, a former prison nurse in Oregon. He exploited his position of trust to prey on incarcerated women at the Coffee Creek Correctional Facility. The facility was located just 17 miles south of Portland and had, has recently come under intense scrutiny after disturbing allegations emerged about the former nurse. Klein, who served in this all-female prison, had unrestricted access to inmates seeking medical attention, which I just find absolutely disturbing and disgusting. I'm so appalled. And when I was researching this story, Julie, oh, I got so mad. I was like, how am I going to get through this episode without just absolutely just I don't know. It's it's frustrating. Yeah, throwing something. Frustrating. It's very frustrating. Yeah. It's hard to understand. He used his power. And yeah. how he was even in the position to begin with, I don't understand it. I really don't. Exactly. I don't I don't know why they would put a male nurse in an all female prison. It does not make sense to me at all. Absolutely does not make any sense. So he definitely took advantage of his position. He would manufacture reasons to isolate female inmates in secluded areas, often leading to non-consensual sexual conduct. These assaults took place in various parts of the prison, including janitor's closets, medical rooms, and areas blocked by medical curtains. The victims lived in constant fear, threatened with retaliation, if they dared report the abuse, I can't. I'm. I, I'm. I. I'm so. I'm so mad about this because there is no way it should ever be appropriate that a male nurse in a situation with with a female who is. And this is my opinion, but I don't believe yeah, a male yeah. nurse should be in the situation if there's not a female there to be somehow, and it doesn't have to be another nurse. 
that some uh, attack some a guard someone exactly don't you agree yeah yeah somebody present just to kind of be there yeah. in case anything does go wrong because it can as we know i but. mean if nothing else to prov- i mean because if if allegations are made and the as as we're going to find out um this of course they're, they're going to try to say well they're lying and that he used that he knew oh well they're they're here because they've been convicted of a crime so correct. no one's going to believe you correct and i mean that's what we found a lot in the sexual assault world you know men overpowering and grooming even children you know because they they said the same thing to kids in my experience no one's going to believe you don't tell them you know the same exact it's a grooming process, pretty much yes. for adults and children. Yes, it's crazy. Well, the pain and trauma these women you know, went through was compounded by the fact that several of their allegations never even reached local prosecutors. One of the victims said, "He talked to us like we were regular people. Many of the corrections officers treated us like we were scum. He was kind." These assaults took place in various parts of the prison, including janitor's closets, medical rooms, and areas blocked by medical curtains. The victims lived in constant fear, threatened with retaliation if they dared report the abuse, which is absolutely just disgusting. And it's why you never, in a situation where females are under the power of other people, you know, in other words, you're incarcerated, you're in a jail, you're in a prison. I'm not sure I can think of another situation where that's true, but but where you really, you don't have any power. Your power is certainly limited. You should never have to be alone with a male nurse or physician or any, there should be a female prison guard. Someone should be present in the room, especially if you just ask and just say, can I have yeah. someone, you know, available? Exactly. I was curious as to how many other like nurses they had in the facility and whether or not any, you know, how he got alone with them so frequently. Yeah. And it sounds like he just knew how to manipulate the system. And he he probably watched these inmates for an extended period of time and knew the ones that he could prey upon. He was kind to them. He treated them differently than the other guards did because where other guards might just treat them like they're just a number, you know, just kind of like a prisoner. Like they don't really have any empathy for them or compassion. Exactly. He knew that if he treated them differently, treated them like they were an actual person, like, hey, I'm not seeing you for whatever bad deed you've been convicted of. I'm just seeing you as an actual person that that's going to endear himself to them. Correct. Correct. And I've heard of this in a lot of cases. I know some people that have done prison um, nursing before and it it's very it gives you the power over them not only being male but also being a nurse and having some form of authority you know what I mean it's kind of like a I don't know I guess they they really feared too that something would happen to them if they fought him absolutely and and just no, just really fearing and and thinking that no one's going to believe me if i say anything because i've been convicted of this of this other crime and so they're going to think oh well i'm just a prisoner i'm making this up to get attention or i'm making this up for whatever reason right right and i think what a lot of people didn't know is when i was looking into it a lot of the women that he actually sexually abused had a history of sexual abuse. So this wasn't their first rodeo, basically. They had been through it before. And so that's what's really sad, too, is, you know, I guess you hate to think that you're protected in prison, but I guess to some extent you expect to be, maybe. Oh, man. That's, yeah, it's really, just really sad. Yeah, and the the pain and trauma that through it was compounded you know by the fact that, that several of their allegations never even reached local prosecutors which basically just kind of drive home drives home the fears that they already had that no one was going to listen mm-hmm. to them or take them seriously so that same inmate said that she remembered her encounters with nurse tony as she called him recounting one particular incident she explained how she was lured under the pretext of a medical examination only to become another one of his victims 
the Oregon State Police began investigating Klein in November of 2017. By the following March, they had interviewed at least 10 women with allegations against him. It's one thing to have one person or maybe a couple of people who maybe, you know, talk to each other. But when you have 10 different women right forward with allegations, every single allegation should be investigated to the fullest and taken seriously. That's what always aggravated me about, you know, you always hear, I've heard people say in the past, well, if you're dressed this way, you deserve it. Or, you know, if you're in prison, you deserve it or whatever the situation may be. They always, I guess, I don't even know the best word to use, but yeah, victim blaming is pretty much. Exactly. Exactly. Like it's your fault because you have a cutoff shirt on. It's your fault because you're in prison and you deserve what you have coming basically is the way some people think, but it's so far from the truth. We all know that when we're taking any medication or supplement, dosage matters, and it's important to take enough to get the desired result. For example, only taking a 10 milligram Tylenol might not help with your headache. Well, the same is true for CBD. If you try a low dose CBD product, you may not feel anything, but it's not the CBD's fault. The dosage is the problem. This is why CBD Stat only makes high dose CBD products that actually work. And now their products are getting even stronger. CBD Stat is happy to announce that they're launching a new extra strength version of its highly popular topical products that have 7,500 milligrams of CBD. This new strength will by far maintain CBD Stat's status as the most powerful CBD product line on the market. More CBD means it's more effective in helping everyone tackle daily aches and pains. CBD Stat sent me a box of these new products and I already knew it was going to work because I've been using it for my neck pain and foot pain, but I can definitely tell the difference in this new strength and I'm really excited to get to tell you guys about it. And on top of these new higher strength products, they're also dropping prices across the board on all their products to make CBD Stat not only the most effective on the market, but also the most affordable. And don't forget, all you healthcare workers out there, get a special additional discount to help keep you strong. Just head to cbdstat.care forward slash healthcare and find your new secret weapon. That's cbdstat.care forward slash healthcare. Well, a significant gap emerged. The Washington County District Attorney's Office claims they never received at least half a dozen sexual abuse allegations against Klein. Consequently, he continued to work as a nurse in the area after all those accusations came through. He continued to work as a nurse because they said that they That's never crazy. received the, the yeah. Uh, Despite the overwhelming allegations, Klein was never tried in a state court, leading many to question if the justice system is failing those who need it most. Because if this is happening in this one particular case, you know, it, where else is this happening? Exactly. Is there another prison? Is there, you know, jails? What, what is going on? And uh, dare I think about, you know, the entire country where women are in these vulnerable positions and made to, to feel like, you know, you're not going to be believed. No one's going to believe you. Correct. Yeah. It's so sad. And I've even heard like the flip side of, you know, females being in that position of authority mm -hmm. In a male prison, you know, I've heard of that happening yeah. too, which is, which is crazy. But yeah, like you said, prisons everywhere, I'm sure have had issues that have probably gone unreported yes. just like this. Absolutely. One. Yeah. We've done stories here on this podcast before about female <clears throat> corrections nurses who have been in positions like this and abused their position of authority and power and Mm -hmm. got into relationships, which it, it is absolutely illegal. And it yes. doesn't matter that you, it doesn't matter that's consensual because you are in a position of, of power. So they can't consent. They absolutely cannot consent. It is crazy though, but I'm sure, like you said, it happens everywhere and they use each other, I think for maybe drugs or cell phones or befriend them to try and get them to bring things into the prison that shouldn't be there right. and those kinds of things. So, yeah. And, and their stories painted a, a consistent pattern. Klein would establish a sense of trust, making these vulnerable women feel special and then would betray them, of course, in the most heinous ways. The Oregon Department of Corrections internal investigations found 96% of the allegations against Klein unsubstantiated. 
Oh, it's so crazy. Yeah, that was the State State Department. They decided they were unsubstantiated. Only one case was marked unfounded, and yet it resulted in a $290,000 settlement in a civil lawsuit. So mm. someone believed them. Thank goodness this is not where the story ends. The U.S. Department of Justice took matters into their own hands, charging Klein based on the Oregon State Police's investigations. After a grueling trial, a federal jury finally delivered justice for these victims. Tony Klein was found guilty on 17 counts of depriving his victims of their constitutional rights and four counts of perjury. He has been sentenced to 30 years in federal prison with an additional five years of supervised release. And I say good riddance. Yeah, exactly. Same. And I think, didn't he say he was only fined like $2,500? Yeah. Yeah. And I think the crazy thing is, too, that they did not revoke his nursing license, if I'm correct. They did end up finally doing that. They didn't in the beginning oh, okay. because they didn't, the, the state wasn't taking it. None of the local authorities were taking it seriously. Uh, it took the federal government to step in and do something about it. The crazy thing is about this case, too, is that because the women did not report it in a timely manner, the amount of time that you can actually get evidence on a sexual assault exam had expired. Mm. So, you know, if they had like reported it immediately, then they could have had, you know, an exam by a nurse, had evidence collected, and then there would have actually been proof. But they were so traumatized and it's so confused. It's, it just, I mean, what a horrible, horrible situation, you know, to be in. Who do you report it to? What do you say? You know, I, I, I just really feel for these women in this situation because by the time I'm sure they were able to collect their thoughts and think about what they should do, as you said, the t you know, a lot of time had gone by. For all of these women that did report it, how many women did he assault that did not report it? Right. And I wonder if they talked amongst themselves, mm. you know, the women, like telling each other what he'd done to them and. It seemed like that would feed the fire and make them want to retaliate in some way. But maybe they didn't. Maybe they were so scared. One of the victims said they were supposed to protect me and they didn't. They failed miserably. And I think, you know, stopping to think about that statement, what she said, they were supposed to protect me. I think, you know, we as just human beings should stop and realize that the people that are in prisons are people and they do have to, we cannot incarcerate human beings and then not protect them. We cannot incarcerate them and not provide basic human rights. You have to provide medical care. You have to keep them safe. You, you can't incarcerate someone and just say, well, because you committed a crime, then you have no human basic human rights. No, that is not how that works. She is absolutely right. They were supposed to protect her, and they did fail her miserably. We kind of have to face it head on and realize that if this happened in this situation, if he was so bold as to believe that he could get away with this, and clearly he thought he could and, pro and did for a long time, and which, which would only make him, you know, even bolder to, to think, right. well, wow, these people have actually spoken up and made allegations and nothing is being done. Right. So he really felt like he had the upper hand. This has to be happening in other places in our country. I, I, I don't know. I don't even know where to begin to know what to do. I mean, how do you, there's so many injustices in our, in our world and in our country to, to fight for. How, how would you even begin to know you know, how to, to reach out in a situation like this. I, I just, I, uh, I, yeah. I mean, I think one of the best things is like you said, to always have two people present, you know, yeah. male, female or something yeah. like not to give anybody that time alone with an inmate, you know, so that, that this can't happen, you know. That should be policy across the board to protect everyone concerned. Exactly. I agree. And, and I always wonder like, did they have cameras? Like, was there not a camera that, you know, recorded the amount of time he was in the room alone with them? Mm -hmm. Could they not go back and look at those types of things? I mean, I know we use cameras a lot at work as far as, you know, getting a timeline or trying to see what may have happened. But you would think that they'd have cameras in place too. Yeah, you would think so, but maybe not in like the actual medical part. And I'm sure right. if you're a predator, 
you know, right where those cameras are, you know, right where the desk oh, yeah. are, you know, right, you know, it, it, that's the thing is someone like Tony Klein knows how to manipulate the system and he knows how to, you know, he knows, okay, their camera's there, so I'm not going to, not going to do that in that situation. And I know this right. particular female inmate has, I, I've been nice to her and she seems to be enjoying that I'm being nice to her, maybe even flirting. And that's the thing about a sexual assault victim is many, you know, many times people who are victims of sexual assault, they, and this is not every case because I would never want to, you know, paint everyone with the same brush. But sometimes when you're, when you are the victim of a sexual assault, it starts out as something flirtatious. It starts out because the person is kind of, as you said earlier, grooming you. And before you exactly. even know what's happened, you become a victim and you don't even realize it. And then it's it, it you feel like it's too late. But I, I definitely want to use this opportunity to help people understand that it is never, ever, ever too late. It doesn't matter if you feel like, oh, I well, I consented. I got myself into it. I was flirting. I was whatever, dressed, whatever. It, it does not matter. It is never, ever, ever your fault. And you always, at, at any point in time, you have the right to stop and say, this has gone too far. I want this to stop now and stand up for yourself. And I know that I, I, I know it's easy for me to say that because I'm not in the situation that these women are in. I, I don't know what else, you know, other advice to give. Right. It's just sad that they felt so vulnerable. And, you know, I always used to tell people, you only have to say no once. You know, you, you shouldn't have to say it over and over. You shouldn't have to say it louder. You only have to say it once. And and like you said, it should matter no matter what, you know, whether you're an inmate or a male or, you know, no matter what, it should matter. So I have to tell you guys about an experience I had with a nursing student. So, you know, I've been doing travel nursing. Well, this hospital where I'm at has a lot of LPN students doing their clinicals there. So one of them was following me around one day and she noticed my stethoscope. And of course, y'all know the Echo Technology Company that sponsors our podcast. They teamed up with Littman to make the stethoscopes, to beat all stethoscopes, the 3M Littman Core Digital Stethoscope. And this is the one that I use now. So she said, oh my gosh, I've been wanting to try one of those. So of course I let her use it. And she just could not stop talking about it for the rest of the shift. It was so cute. She was like, you know, I can't hear anything with my normal stethoscope because I have tinnitus. And so she was so excited because she could actually hear what heart sounds were supposed to sound like. She said, I'm going to ask for one of these for graduation. And I was like, yeah, you definitely should. So just so you know, the echo technology that makes the stethoscope so amazing. Uh, you can enable it with a flip of a switch. You can turn it on and off. It has active noise cancellation up to 40 times amplification, wireless auscultation using Bluetooth technology. It connects with Echo's free app and software so that you can visualize, record, share, live stream, analyze heart sounds, lung sounds, and whatever body sounds you want to listen to. So you can go to echohealth.com and use the promo code GNBN to get $50 off your order. And that's Echo is spelled E-K-O, by the way. So it's echohealth.com and use the GNBN promo code to get $50 off your order. I also wanted to remind you that if you're interested in travel nursing, to go to trustedhealth.com forward slash good nurse and fill out a profile so you can see what kind of jobs are out there. And you can also see what they pay, the stipend, the hourly rate, all of that. I'm a travel nurse now with Trusted Health, and I absolutely love working for them. So go to trustedhealth.com, be sure and put forward slash good nurse so that they'll know that we sent you there and fill out a profile today. If you're like me and you don't want ads interrupting your podcast flow, you can access our episodes ad-free just by becoming a patron. You can also have access to bonus material like episodes being released early, the video footage of me and my guests recording the episode, and a brand new podcast that's offered exclusively to our Patreon subscribers called Breakroom Conversations. Your support will really help us to keep the podcast running smoothly. To learn more, just head on over to our website, goodnursebadnurse.com, and click the link to become a patron. Well, I guess that kind of wraps it up for the for the bad nurse segment of our show. And so now, Julie, we can get to talk about you and your podcast and all of the things. So first of all, we've kind of talked about the fact that you are a sane nurse and your job. Kind of just tell everybody about your podcast. What do you use your podcast, that platform for? Just explain to everybody what it is that you do. I've been a nurse for 29 years. I 
started working in the ER. I had done several different things, telephone triage. I worked ICU, NICU, just everywhere trying to find my niche. And in the ER, my boss asked me if I wanted to be a sexual assault nurse and we would be trained by the attorney general's office in Texas. And it wasn't going to be any charge to me. She just thought that I would be good at it. And I'm like, why do you think that? I really don't want to be exposed to any more trauma <laughs> than I already am, you know, because you know how it is yeah. in the ER. Oh, yeah. She just said, you know, you're good with people. I feel like you just need to be in that position. And after several no's, she finally coerced me <laughs> because I loved her. <laughs> and so went through the training and um, did a lot of exams, mostly on children, honestly. We did acute and non-acute. So it would have been like something that just happened the night before. And sometimes we would do exams on children that had been assaulted sometimes years prior. But the first time I went to court and testified, the man got life in prison for assaulting two of his young nieces. It just empowered me. So I was like, wow, not that I never made a difference before in the ER, you know, as a bedside nurse, but it just made me feel, wow, like this is going to help these girls move on. So I got interested in the world of forensics at that point and was trying to figure out what else I could do because forensic nursing only became a thing in 95, which is the year I graduated. So it, that's when it actually became a specialty. And so I was not taught anything in school about it. It was just put in my lap afterwards. I decided I wanted to learn to do death investigation. And I sent myself to the University of St. Louis. They had a death investigation training course. I spent a week there. Um, couldn't get my certification because I didn't have a job yet doing death investigation. Went through the class just to kind of have that knowledge so that if I could find a job and get an interview, I would sound like I knew something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I understand that. Yeah. And then at that point, strangely enough, I had found a job in Harris County in Houston here in Texas, and they were looking for an ER trauma nurse who was trained as a sexual assault nurse to be, be a death investigator. And it had my name all over it. Was I crazy about moving to Houston? No, but I did it anyway. And the experience is crazy because back then, I think there were 950 gangs in Harris County at that time, almost 20 years ago. And so homicides all the time. And so I just got so much experience. Then I just, I moved back to the area where I grew up in Denton, which is where I work now and just got a job here doing the same thing. So I already knew a lot of the police officers because of my background as a sexual assault nurse, because we work closely with, with them in those cases as well. I saw them in both positions, you know what I mean? So yeah. it was kind of crazy. So met a lot, met a lot of people and have learned so much and still learn, you know, every day something new. So tell everyone a little bit about, because I know that a lot of people are familiar with this saying S-A-N-E, you know, sexual assault nurse. Mm -hmm. examiner, a forensic nurse death investigator. That's intriguing. That's <laughs> one I have not heard before. To explain to everybody, what do you do? What is your job? What is a typical day in the life of, of a, a nurse like this look like? It's kind of funny because no one else in my office is a nurse. So I kind of come at it from a different angle. A lot of them are retired law enforcement and some of them even have degrees in um, mortuary science. Ooh. The cool thing about coming out as a nursing standpoint is when I go to someone's house after they pass away for unknown reasons, I can go to their medicine cabinet and pull out all of their medications and look at them and automatically know what their health problems are. So it's really, it's really cool because I usually will ask the police when they initially call me, did you find any medications? Read them off to me. Of course, they don't do a great job of pronouncing them, but, <laughs> but you know, they try, they try. I'll give them that. So I go to the death scene. I take my own forensic photos. I actually look the body over completely and I document all trauma. So if there's a scratch, a stab wound, uh, a defect of any kind, I document that in my notes. I also will interview family or 
neighbors or friends or whoever is present at the time that may be able to give me additional information that I can pass on to my doctors. So I do get to be nosy and it's okay in this situation, (laughs) which is, you know, sometimes sometimes nice because you always want to ask the question, but you can't because you're not in a position to be nosy. I get to do that and I get paid for it. So I write my report up. Um, Part of our job too, though, is also notifying family of the death, which is my least favorite part of the job. Very important. You know, nowadays with social media, we don't want somebody to see their loved one's wrecked vehicle on Facebook before they've been notified that something's happened. So we try to contact family as soon as we can. Usually if they're local, we'll drive over to their house with an officer and notify them. So for your job, I know you were saying you know, that's a that's a certification that, that sexual assault nurse examiner is saying that's a, a certification. How did you cross over from that to this death examiner kind of job? Yeah, well, I went through the training in St. Louis and had just continued to get any kind of education I can find on different types of deaths, you know, infant deaths and SIDS and fire fatalities and motor vehicle accidents, auto pedestrian accidents, just every, you know, as much training as I could. It's not really so much a certification, but there is an agency called the American Board of Medical Legal Death Investigators, and I'm a diplomat with them, and that requires that you take a test and make a passing grade, and then also that you actively work in the field of death investigation. And so um, I am a diplomat with them, and then I'm also a member of the National Association of Medical Examiners and Coroners. Uh, And they all pretty much provide continuing education opportunities for us to share cases amongst each other and just continue to learn. Okay. Well, it sounds absolutely fascinating. And I feel like there's going to be a lot of people listening to this that are going to just be like, whoa, I know this is a job. I know I'm kind of feeling that way myself. It is. Right, really? I know. It's, I mean, I, I never thought, you know, I was scared of death as a child. Never in a million years did I think that I would be rolling a dead person over and looking at their wounds. And, you know, and a lot of people say, you know, oh, you don't deal with live people anymore, but we really do because we deal with the families. And that's the hardest part because it's sometimes the worst day of their life. So we are, you know, I'm definitely not a counselor and I'm never pretend to be, but um, we do have some counselors and others that can go out with us to kind of help provide that, I don't know, I guess a little bit of extra guidance in what to do and how to get help for grief. Sounds like a very challenging, like emotionally challenging, emotionally exhausting job, but very rewarding because you feel like you've been able to put some closure Exactly. And, you know, we do talk to the family sometimes months after their loved one's death, too, because many times if we suspect an overdose, you know, it can take like three months to get toxicology results back. And so they'll continue to reach out to us via telephone or email. And so you kind of, I mean, have a little bit of a a friendly relationship with them because they trust you. They know that you can assure them that your doctors are doing everything they can to get answers for the family, you know, so that they can get closure. So it it is rewarding. So talk a little bit about your podcast and how's that going? It's going great. I've been on the air for, I guess, about a little over a year. Uh, have 55 plus episodes, I believe. I love it. People were asking me, what's the worst case you've ever been on or what's the worst thing you've ever seen or what's the grossest, you know, I mean, everybody wants to know. And of course I love to tell my stories. And so I was like, you know what, I should do this in a podcast so people can listen when they want to, you know, instead of having to sit there and and listen to me. So I love it because I, you know, I'm working in the field and again, I can talk about some of the things that I see and experiences that I've had as well as just cases worldwide, you know, like you do, my experience as a death investigator and maybe what I would look for and questions that I had about maybe what what wasn't looked into. And I love it. It's just, it's really interesting. And again, every day is completely different. 
Well, I think you guys know if you if you like listening to this podcast, I think you definitely would enjoy Julie's podcast. So you need to go take a listen to that, Pushing Up Lilies. But also, Julie, I wanted to talk a little bit about you're getting your master's degree. Correct. And, and what is it that you're getting your master's degree in? And what is this other this other job that you, that you have? Yes, I know. It's like, how many jobs can you right. have, right? <laughs> About 12 years ago, went to get Botox and the nurse that did it, you know, I handed her several hundred dollars. And then I thought, why am I not doing this? You know, as a nurse, like, hey, yeah. <laughs> this could make me some money. I found a place that would train me on the job and paid pretty well in addition. And so I did that for several years. And then I decided that I didn't really want to work for anybody else anymore. So I opened my own med spa. Um, It's here in Texas in the Denton area where I live. I do uh, Botox, lip fillers, all kinds of different medical procedures. We do IVs, um, shots, and recently started using PRP in a lot of different procedures. And I've been in business for myself for about six years, have another nurse that that works for me. And uh, she works when I'm at the medical examiner's office. (laughs) It's like everybody knows my schedule and knows her schedule. So, but so yeah, I've I've done that. And I, I decided to get my nurse practitioner license because my medical director is great, but I think I could lighten his load a little bit, maybe by being able to write prescriptions and give me a little more abilities, more abilities, I guess I could say in the med spa world. But it has been, yeah, we got Best of Denton the last two years and we're actually uh, about to interview for a TV show. Oh my so. <laughs> what part of Texas is Denton? I'm not familiar. I've been to Austin and that's pretty much it. Oh, okay. I love Austin. We are north of Dallas. So we're kind of between Dallas and the Oklahoma border. As a death investigator, I cover the whole county, Denton County, and then my med spa is in Denton, the city. So yeah. And you know, it was successful because a lot of my clients were police officers, attorneys, defense attorneys, Uh district attorneys, and nurses. Literally, it was going to be a side gig. I always said, I just want to just unwrinkle my friends, maybe one day day a week. And it just turned into 4,000 square foot building now. And it's been amazing. Yeah, I love it. So it's just like when you love all your jobs, you don't want to quit any of them. So I always say I'll sleep when I'm dead. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Well, I'm... I'm just absolutely blown away by all of the different yeah. things, all the different hats that you wear. It's amazing. Thank you. So absolutely fascinated. I've, we've had say nurses on before and we've talked about that. That particular uh-huh. job is always interesting to me because I feel like it's so important to have someone there in that moment, someone who, you know, is in that role, who can have empathy, who can have compassion, who can just not just be just, you know, clinical and not be, you know, like an investigator, like you're just completely, but you can actually have some compassion with, with a victim. Exactly. You know, I think that when they see that you're a real person and that you care, you know, they're, they open up to you more. They always opened up to the nurses and gave us more information than the police. And, you know, when the police are good guys too, but when it's a, three-year-old girl, you know, she just feels more comfortable talking to a nurse than a police officer. So do you wear scrubs when you're doing that? Like you actually do? I typically would not, but sometimes I would. It it was hit or miss. It depended on the age of the child. I didn't ever want to make them feel intimidated. I wanted them to think of me as more just a nice person that's coming in to visit with them about what happened than, you know, somebody that it's quite clinical of authority, yeah. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So instead of, yeah. And that makes sense, especially if it's a child, because a child may look at this like, oh, this is the kind of person that gives me shots. And, you know, I don't, I don't right. like going to the doctor. So I don't, you know, they, they may not look upon nurses as, as friendly as we think they would. So if you Exactly. You're not wearing like a police officer uniform. You know, you're like in civilian clothes. Is that? 
Right. Right. Yeah. In civilian clothes, typically. And that way, you know, I just looked more like, I don't know, maybe, maybe just a mom, you know, or just a nice person that you see on the street and not so much someone of authority that, you know, was going to try to make them feel bad about what happened or judge them for any reason. That makes perfect sense, actually. Yeah. I really appreciate that. I appreciate all the different types of jobs. I'm excited for people to, to hear this and kind of get to know some of these options, especially the the death investigator one. I feel like people are going to be so fascinated yeah. by that. I know I am. It is so. You are. Yeah. It's just, I don't know. I mean, I, I love it. And, you know, my husband's jealous. He always says, you know, you love all of your jobs. Like, it's so unfair, you know, because. Because. <laughs> No, because the, the average person, you know, what do they say? Like 5% of people actually like their job. But I I enjoy going and, again, meeting the families. I mean, I know, like I said, it's the worst day of their life. But at least, you know, I can help them get answers. And, and then I just, you know, again, notification is the least favorite part of the job, but but an important part. And we do that other than the police. That's just... We have to give them information as far as where their loved one was transported to and what's going to take place and kind of what the next steps are. But the family, you know, and it always amazes me because, again, it's like the worst day of their life, but they apologize to me for having to do my job. And I always like, oh, my gosh, that's so sweet that someone would even think of me and what I'm going through when you just lost, you know, your only child or I couldn't believe sometimes when people would would say, you know, thank you for what you do, or I'm so sorry you have to do this job. And I'm like, hey, I signed up for it. I'm a nurse. This is what I want to do. You know, I love it. And I hate that I have to be here and meet you under these circumstances, but I absolutely love what I do. It makes me think of the times in the hospital when people are in very vulnerable situations, like maybe they are incontinent and you have, you know, you're, you're cleaning them up, you're helping them, like maybe they can't get out of the bed and you're, you're needing to clean up their sheets and save them. And they're like, apologize. And they're like, I'm so sorry. Yeah. Do this and you're just, and I'm just, that's exactly what you just said is exactly what I, what I always say and what I've heard other nurses say. And it's just like, this is my job. I promise you, I just, I just decided to go to school to do this because I wanted to do it. So I'm happy to do it. I'm happy to take care of you. It's a privilege able yes. to do this for you. And I would never want you to at all think that, you know, d- don't feel sorry for me. I am happy to be here. I'm in no way, you know, uncomfortable about doing this. This is my job. Exactly. That's what I, I love about it is, you know, you still get that appreciation and you, and do the, you get to do what you love at the same time. And I think too, that the fact that, you know, I've been a patient and, been a victim and, you know, all the things. And it's just to, to tell people that I think they can see the human side of us, you know, and not, not so much just view us as nurses, but also as people. And I just, I think that helps sometimes because many times people say, I know how you feel, but they really don't, you know, (laughs) but you know, if you've passed a kidney stone, you know, you know how it feels. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you can tell your patient, hey, I, I know pain. Like I know it. I, I get what you're going through and I'm gonna try to get you some help. But absolutely. I was just talking to so I'm doing my practicum for my master's degree and I've been following a nurse practitioner mm-hmm. in a primary care clinic and there was a patient that came in with back pain and we were talking about this kind of a young patient complaining about back pain. And I said, you know, one thing that I learned because I went to nursing school at kind of a later age. I was like, I was 40 years old when I went to nursing school. So but when I was in my uh-huh. 20s, like early 20s, I had a couple of different episodes of really, really de- just debilitating back pain. I think it's probably from uh. an accident that I had when I was 16 and I was oh, no. stupidly riding on the back of, of a go-kart through a neighborhood oh. having a blast and then um, <laughs> and then my friend went across a, a speed bump and I literally my whole body just went completely it kept going and I just stayed oh, where I was gosh. and I landed on my bottom on the pavement <laughs> and and we laughed our heads Ouch. off about it at the time it was so funny and then later on 
my like at 16 years old, my back was like, it was hurting so bad. I thought I was going to die. I was like, oh my gosh, what's wrong with me? Well, it went away and it was fine. And then a couple of like years, like two, three years later in my twenties, oh my gosh, I, it was horrible. I would just be like doing something random and all of a sudden, you know, and my back would just go out. Like it might maybe like lifting, like I worked at a daycare. So like lifting a kid and I'd be like, oh no, you know, so now, (laughs) but that helped me so much later on down the road because I would have so much empathy for people because I'm like, I, I, I would never look at anyone who would say, who would say they're in pain and judge them. I'd never, I would never do it. I'm like, no. I, I, I felt what it was, what it felt like to go to a doctor and, and have them like, look at you like, yeah, there's nothing wrong with you. Cause I'm like 20, I'm like 22, 23 years old and like bent over, could not stand up straight. And I, I was <sighs> even too naive to even understand that they thought I was wow. like drug seeking or something. I didn't even understand. Right. I didn't right. even, I never, I, it didn't even occur uh, to me, you know, like that they would even think that because I, I right. never did anything like that before. Yeah. You're like, I promise I don't want I mean, drugs. I didn't even know <laughs> that that was even a thing. Like I, I wouldn't have even right. taken drugs. You know what I mean? Like it wouldn't have even occurred to me that they would think that I was drug seeking. But then when they treated me that way, I remember leaving there thinking, oh my gosh, I think they thought I was trying to get wow. drugs or something. And oh, I no. just feel like, oh, but I, I really hurt. And they would just look at me like, it, they don't care. They don't know me. No yeah. idea. And I just want to be like, you can ask anybody. I'm not, I'm like a good person. I don't, I don't do anything. I like, I, but it doesn't matter. Like they're going to look at you and you are 22 and you, there's no reason for you to be in debilitating pain and they're going to judge you. Exactly. Yeah. No, I get it. Cause I, you know, my mom was an RN and she told me, I mean, growing up, don't, don't go to nursing school. You won't get paid enough and you'll have to work way harder than you should have to. And I'm like, okay. You know, I didn't want to, I really didn't want to at the time, but I'd look through all her books and um, look at the pictures and I went to see all the blood and the stitches and the, you know, all the gross stuff, which, you know, sometimes we're just that way as nurses. I went into kidney failure when I was pregnant with my daughter. She's 35 now, my oldest. And then I have one twenty that's 25. And I went into kidney failure with each of them. But the first time we didn't know what was going on. And so I was 21. I pushed my call bell after I fell, I passed out and fell on the floor in my hospital room. And I laid there for three hours. They kept canceling the bill because, you know, I'm 21 and I'm sure that that everybody thought I pushed it because I was trying to change a TV channel and I hit the call button instead. You know what I mean? And so I laid in the floor for three hours until my mom's boss, who is a nephrologist, found me and picked me up, put me in bed and asked me to review my chart and I was being treated for a kidney infection, but I was actually in kidney failure when she looked at my lab. So I had to go straight to the OR. But when I got out of the OR, I looked at my mom and I said, I'm going to nursing school. And she said, what? And I said, yeah, you know what? Because people that care about people need to be doing this job. And I shouldn't have laid on the floor for three hours. And so later after nursing school, when someone canceled a call bell and didn't go answer it, I was livid. I'm like, you go down there and yep. see what's wrong with that patient, yep. you know? Yep. That, uh, so, yeah, you go through it and then you're like, I don't want anybody else to struggle, to have the struggles, you know, Absolutely. that we did. Well, I'm really thankful to have had you on the podcast so we could kind of show all these different aspects of nursing. You know, I feel like there's there are a lot of people that go into nursing that go to get that degree and then you know, after they start working at the bedside and doing it, they're just like, well, I don't know, maybe this is not right. what I said. And <laughs> maybe start, maybe kind of regretting. Now, one thing I will say, if you're feeling that way, is maybe, maybe don't run away too fast because I felt that way at first. And then once I got comfortable, I actually loved it. So I will say that. Yeah. Maybe, maybe it's not, maybe it's just that you just still need to kind of be, you know, get your feet under you, uh, or maybe you're not on the right unit. Like don't just run away. Right. But exactly. <laughs> but if you are feeling that way, if you're like, no, 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 I've, I've worked in multiple units. I absolutely don't want to do this. This is not, 
the thing, the great thing about a nursing degree is you can do so many different things. It's amazing. So, so many. And that's what I love. You know, like I, I'm like you, I tried different things and actually worked NICU and was going to d- all the C-sections and the forceps deliveries. I didn't love the OR. I'm claustrophobic. I don't want to mask over me. Mm. And, a, you know, I just, that was not my thing. So yep. I'm like, okay, next. And <laughs> then I went on to med surge, which they told me I would hate. And I absolutely loved it oh. because I just love direct patient care and they needed me. So that's it was enjoyable. There are people that want to do that. So for you guys that are like, no, you don't want it. Not yet. It is for some people. Don't don't listen to everybody. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> it's like there are just so many different yeah. things, like you said. So. so many different things. Well, thank you so much, Julie, for coming on the podcast. You're welcome. You remind I've enjoyed it. Remind everybody where they can find you. My podcast is Pushing Up Lilies, and it's available on all the different platforms. It's on iHeart, Pandora, Spotify, Google, Apple, all the things. My email is julie at pushinguplilies.com, and my website is Pushing Up Lilies as well. So easy to find in that aspect. And I Googled myself the other day, and I, my name actually popped up. So I was like, hey. <laughs> so there's always ways to find me that way, but... It's a lot of fun, and I love, like you said, for nurses to reach out and ask questions about forensic nursing and training and how to get into it and all those things because there's not very many of us, you know, that do that. And, I mean, correctional nursing is also a subsection of forensic nursing, and as is psych and the sexual assault aspect of it. So as far as SANE's only liked a little over 2,100 in the U.S., or internationally, internationally actually. So there's not there's not very many. Um, so it's a it's a specialty that is not tapped into by a lot of people, and a lot of people may think they don't like it. And I've actually had people ask to write out with me to just kind of get a feel for what I do and to see if they do like oh, it because yeah. you know idea. they make it glamorous on TV. Mm-hmm. Everybody's in a suit and high heels, you know, and they're like, oh yeah, he's dead. <laughs> But um, there's a lot of smells and a lot of bugs, and um, so it's not actually glamorous. When I first met my husband, he was like, where have you been? Go get in the shower. (laughs) I was like, sorry, (laughs) this is my life. Love it or leave it. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for joining me for this episode. I hope you'll come back and record another episode with me sometime down the road. Yeah, I'd love to, for sure. And maybe I can have you on mine. Oh, I would absolutely. absolutely. I'm going to take you up on that. That'd be great. Okay, I'm down. (laughs) And you guys know you can email me at Tina at Good Nurse, Bad Nurse. And we're, of course, on social media at Good Nurse, Bad Nurse, as everything else. Good Nurse, Bad Nurse. Google Good Nurse, Bad Nurse. You're probably going to find me. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Just Google it. That's what I do all the time. Just Google it. (laughs) All right. And of course, you know, before we go, I always have to remind you guys, even if you're a bad girl or a bad boy, be a good nurse.